The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Luke chapter 4, preaching today again from the uh, New City Catechism. I want to speak today just for a little while on how to be bold like Jesus Christ. That's probably a bold topic to uh, take on today. Jesus was as bold as they come. Uh, Luke chapter number 4. You know, when you uh, think about, for me, one of the greatest joys of my life as a pastor is leading um, groups of folks on short-term mission trips and uh, we do that quite frequently in this church. And we've been uh, to Maine and Vermont and Boston, and uh, we've done some stuff in North Carolina as well. And then, of course, done some work overseas in El Salvador and Eastern Europe, Slovenia, uh, Moldova, uh, these kinds of places. And I just love taking folks who have never been to the mission field. It, it thrills my heart when somebody signs up and they've never been on a plane before. And I uh, get to take them uh, on the way. And you know, a couple of things that come to mind is the second full day of a short-term mission trip is my favorite day. You have a travel day, you get there, everybody's amped up on the plane or um, you know, driving in the van, everybody's all excited. And then you go to bed that night, you wake up the next morning, and uh, you make your way to where you're going to start ministry uh, that week, and all of a sudden, the, uh, the, the tenor of the group changes, whereas everybody had been loud and playing and joking and all that. When you're walking up and you realize it kind of dawns on the group, Oh wow, for the next six days, I'm going to be confrontationally sharing the gospel with unbelievers. There's kind of a hush that comes over the crowd, and I, I enjoy that. I, I remember being in Slovenia with a group, and I could see we had to walk several blocks to get to where we were going. And uh, on that walk there, it got kind of quiet. And everybody realized it was a big market square uh, thing going on. There were thousands of people there. And our job for, the, for that time, that space together, was to, to show up and to take literature and with our translators go and do confrontational evangelism, sharing our testimony and sharing the gospel. And the group got quieter and quieter and quieter as we got there. And uh, what was wonderful about it is, in my heart, I know that in that quiet moment when everybody is getting a little nervous, uh, some butterflies in the stomach, uh, a little bit of gulps going down through the throat, how am I going to do this? I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not good at this. Uh, I'm not in full-time ministry. In those quiet moments, God often gives, without fail, boldness to the souls and the hearts of men and women and young ladies and young men that have been with us to share the gospel and to speak on his behalf and to be bold. Uh, there's a lady in this church that went to El Salvador with us years ago. I'll not tell you her name, but um, you know, one afternoon we were doing a whole bunch of work and 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 uh, sharing the gospel, and it just so happened we passed this big soccer field, and uh, as we were passing it, I don't know if it was me or somebody else, I think it might have been me, I said, now tonight, out there in that big soccer field, there'll be a whole pile of people, that's where you're going to be sharing your testimony uh, tonight. And there was a little bit of hyperventilation that was going on we kind of had to kind of had to pray around that sister but you know what we showed up that night and uh there were uh there were a good number of people there 
And she stepped right up and in a power not her own, given to her from heaven by God, and she stood there with boldness and shared her testimony about how God had blessed her. You know, you don't have to go to El Salvador, nor Slovenia, uh, nor Boston, or Maine to do that. You can experience the boldness and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and His help right here in the city of Raleigh in your day-to-day life, whether it be in school, whether it be at your workplace, whether it be with your family or friends. If you'll simply step out by faith and say, I want to be bold like Jesus and share the good news of what He has done, God will enable you with great boldness to speak to family and friends and co-workers and strangers. God will give you the boldness that you need to speak on behalf of Him. Now I want you to look at the text today. Let me read these verses. uh, Verse number 14 down through verse number 30. And then we'll talk a little bit about having the boldness of Jesus. Notice that it begins in verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Him spread through all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as it was His custom, He entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where this was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah. And when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, and when great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Look at the repetition again in verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all of the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. You know, when we come to a text like this today, there are so many things, there's so many good things in this passage that... I wish I could preach on and expound on. And so I'm just going to go ahead and take time today. We'll get out about 4 o'clock, all right? Everybody, no, I'm just messing with you. For instance, we could draw our attention to the words of Jesus or the words that describe Jesus where it says, and He went into the synagogue as His habit was. 
as His manner of life was. I wish I could just preach to you today and say that the habit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God, very God, His habit in His earthly body was to go to church every week of His life. What's your habit? Or then again, maybe we could talk about all facets of this passage and bring out many wonderful things. But today, I think what we need to focus our attention on for our church in this day at this time from this text is simply this, how to be bold like the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say that the dominant theme of this passage is this, we can be bold in our Christian life this year by following what Jesus taught and living how Jesus lived. We can be bold in our Christian life this year. We've already spoken in the month of January uh, about uh, discipleship and about evangelism and about service. And we have many things in the life of our church to help us along the way this year. But how are we going to be bold in our Christian life? By listening to what Jesus said and by living how Jesus lived. So look with me, if you would, at uh, just three truths that made Jesus bold. Here is the first one. Boldness comes from being Spirit-led like Jesus. Let me say that for you again. Boldness comes from being Spirit-led like Jesus. Look back at verse number 14, if you would. And take note of this. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Back up to chapter 4 and verse number 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Back up to chapter 3 and verse number 22. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven saying, You are My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At every facet and point in the life of Jesus, He is filled with the Spirit. He is empowered by the Spirit. He is living by the Spirit. His ministry is controlled by the Spirit. He is Spirit-led. Let me back up for just one moment and say to you that we believe according to the Scriptures in what we call the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit of God is not a force like in Star Wars. He is a person. And He comes to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. He fills Him and indwells Him and empowers Him. And He will do the same for us. We must be the kind of people who are led by the Holy Spirit. If you want to be bold for Christ, if you want to be bold in your Christian life, if you want to accomplish something for God this year, then you cannot run out of this place and live life on your own and live your Christian life on your own terms. You must be in a spirit of always asking for the Spirit of God to control you and indwell you and fill you and help you and pray with you. It is the work of the Spirit of God in our sanctification and in our ministry as well. We need the Spirit of God. Amen, church? Amen. Now listen, just because you're a Baptist church and, and you're not used to this, I want you to say amen again. Amen? amen. 
Now listen, so many Baptists I know, they're so scared of the doctrine of the Spirit of God that they never take time to even address Him. He becomes the neglected part of the Trinity, but He is the one who is empowering our life and shining the floodlight on Jesus and conforming us to the image of Christ. We need the Spirit of God in our life. First of all, you need the Spirit of God in your salvation. In uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse number 22, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus and he comes up from the water. Now certainly Christ is not being born again. He is not lost. But what we find is that his baptism is an identity with his people and we identify in him as well. And when he comes up from the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The identity of Jesus is marked by the Spirit of God. And in our salvation, when we went under the water and our sins were washed away, and then we've been raised to life in Christ, the Spirit of God has come to indwell us and to seal us, and He calls us out as God's chosen people. Amen? We are the children of God in whom He is well pleased. I tell you today, brothers and sisters, no matter what kind of week you've had, if you are a believer in Jesus and you've had your sins washed away by His blood, whether it was a great week for you or a bad week, whether you lived well or lived bad, you are accepted not on the basis of what you have done. You are accepted on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that is the ground upon which we live. I am not trying to earn my salvation, earn my way to heaven, because if I do that, I will fail in a thousand lifetimes. The only hope I have for heaven is Jesus. I say to every young lady in this church today, your identity is not on what you see on the cover of a magazine nor on the latest sitcom that you like to watch, nor in the latest song that you want to sing. Your identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God applied to your heart makes you immensely valuable in the eyes of God. Regardless of the latest beauty products or what you eat or don't eat, or the size of the clothing that you wear. Your identity is not in what you can do. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God says to you today, young lady, you are my child. I say to every person in this room today who struggles to find your identity in your job and you've lost it. And you're winding around and you're not sure where is up and down and you feel in your soul as if you have lost your identity. Listen, my friend, your identity is not in the work that you have, nor in the money that you make, nor in the house that you have. Your identity is in Christ. And if you are a saved believer, the Spirit of God indwells you. Not only does the Spirit of God give us boldness in our salvation, He gives us boldness in our temptation. Chapter 4 and verse number 1, notice that it is Jesus who is filled with the Spirit of God and He is led out into the wilderness by the, uh, by the Spirit and He is tempted there by the devil. 
This chapter number 4, Luke is recalling Genesis here for us. In fact, there is a comparison that's going on between the first Adam and Jesus who is called the second Adam by the Apostle Paul. You see, Adam was in a perfect garden, in a perfect setting, in a beautiful world, and he was tempted one time and he failed. He disobeyed God. He trusted himself instead of trusting in God and he plunged all of humanity into sin. And Luke is saying in chapter 4 here, that just like Adam was tempted, so Jesus would be tempted as well. But not in a beautiful garden, in a desolate desert region. Not with all of the fruit of the trees of the Garden of Eden, but in absolute neglect of his own self in fasting. And not tempted just once by the tree, but tempted three times by the devil himself. And yet Jesus defeats the temptation. And where Adam failed... Jesus succeeded. And Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. And brothers and sisters, I would say to you, if you want to be bold in your Christian life this year, then your salvation, you must recognize that it is the Spirit of God that gives us our identity in Christ. But it is the Spirit of God who empowers us and fills us and blesses us so that we can defeat the temptations of our life. And part of the reason why you struggle with the same sin again and again and again and again is because you're not constantly going to the Spirit of God and pleading for His help and His mercy and His fullness and His direction. Rarely is the person sinning who is constantly depending upon the Spirit of God. Are you depending upon the Spirit of God for the temptations in your life this year? You might be here today, you might be visiting with us, or you might be a member, and I, I can't open up every closet in your life. You don't know me all that well, I don't know you all that well, but what I do know is that the human condition is that all of us have closed doors and things in our life that we don't want other people to know about. And what I want you to know is that if you'll open up your life and depend upon the Spirit of God, He will clean those rooms for you and empower you to live in ways that you cannot live now. He loves you. The Spirit of God empowers us in our salvation and in our temptation and in our obedience. Look at, uh, look at verse um, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he was sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover the sight of the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus came with a ministry and He said, the ministry that I have to do must have the approval and the power of the Spirit of God. And I would just say to us as a church this year, as we get ready, we think about the end of March and we want to do our service project at the Millbank Apartments, we need logistical work. We need volunteers. We have a whole lot of work ahead of us to try and make all that happen. But I want you to understand, the most important thing is that the Spirit of God actually is involved in what we're doing. Amen? We need Him. We don't just need to pay lip service to Him. We really need the Spirit of God to do a work in our life of our church. 
We need the Spirit of God to save unbelievers and bring them here and bring them a part of our church family. We need the Spirit of God. There's folks right now who I know who are lost, who I'm working with. And listen, I can talk and work and do everything, but at the end of the day, the Spirit of God must knock upon their heart. He has to do the saving work. He's the one in the middle of the night who brings conviction and, and turns the heart so that it believes upon Jesus. There are people in this room who need us. And the Spirit of God must empower the ministry of this church. How much of this church's ministry could go on if the Spirit of God walked away from us today? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much we're doing in the power of what we can do and in the power of what the Spirit of God can do. You see, I don't have time to get into all of this today, but part of the identity of the kingdom of God is this. What God wants to do is God wants to be so present with His people in this world that the people who are not His people in this world take notice. It's all over the Bible. You see, when, when Moses came down from the mountain, do you guys remember what they, what they had to do? Somebody tell me what they had to do to Moses when he came down from the mountain. They put a Walmart bag over his head. You know why? His face was shining. Not because he had been in Walmart. My face doesn't shine when I go to Walmart. All right, anyway, I'm getting off track. Listen, the closer you get to God, the more the glory and the glow of God comes into the human body. In the New Testament, it's the exact same thing. When still, when they're stoning Stephen in the book of Acts, he had been so close to God that they noticed that he was glowing. Have you ever known somebody who believed in Jesus and walked with Him and lived in obedience so much that there was just something different about them? Of course you have. What God wants to do is He wants to do that work in you so that all of your friends and all of your family and all of your co-workers, whether they say it or not, they know something's different about them. Not that they're just a weirdo, okay? Something's different. They handle and live life on a different plane than I do. And the sad thing is most believers in the world don't handle life any differently than lost people. And they lose their testimony. We've got to press in and be close to God so that in our salvation, right, in our sanctification, and in our obedience, that we are being led by the Spirit of God. How do you know that you are being led by the Spirit? Well, I would say if you are living a holy life by Him and if you're thinking His thoughts. So let me give you a second point rather quickly here. Boldness comes from using the Word of God like Jesus did. Verse 16 to 21. Boldness comes from using the Word of God like Jesus did. Notice this section again. I've read it, but look at what Jesus does. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as His custom was, He entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath and He stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed Him and He opened up the book and found the place where it was written. And He reads from Isaiah. 
And he closed the book and gave it back and he sat down and begins to teach them. And all of the eyes were focused upon him. And look at verse 21. And he began to say to them today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boldness comes from using the Word of God like Jesus did. First of all, I would say that we need to use the very written Word of God in our life. In our life with unbelievers, in our life with our families, in our life individually, we need to be a people of the written Word of God. Our authority is the Bible. I get in conversations sometimes. I have no problem talking with folks uh, philosophically, and uh, sometimes I'll talk with people who don't believe in God or in God at all. And I don't mind having those conversations about the existence of God and is this possible. But I play my cards rather soon. I, I say, listen. In this discussion, you should know that I believe that the Bible is absolutely the sole authority for faith and life. That it is God's very word. And if somebody said, well, I question that. I'm not sure it is. I don't, have, I don't mind having a conversation. Uh, then to talk about, okay, is it reliable? Is it historically accurate? We'll get into all that. But you should just know that in my life, right, with you as a church and my own family, I'm playing my cards to you. The number one authority for my life is the Word of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is for you too. Or it should be. Jesus believed every single word of Scripture. In Luke 24, verse 44 and verse 47, Jesus opened to them the Scriptures from Moses and the prophets and the writings, and He began to tell them all things concerning Himself. Jesus said, you have read these, for in these you have eternal life. Jesus believed the Scriptures, and if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And I just I want to ask you, is the Word of God what you're reading and studying and living? I know some people in church life who say a lot about what they, they I believe the Bible, but they don't live the Bible, therefore they don't believe the Bible. Okay? Believe the Bible and live it. Do what it says. Make the Word of God the most important resource in your life, in your family, in your work, in all that you do. The Word of God. Not only the Word of God, but it's the Word of God concerning Christ Jesus. You notice that Jesus opens up here to Isaiah and He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He begins to quote the Old Testament passage that is about Jesus Christ. And our focus should always be on the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, that He came to live and to die and to be raised on the third day, and for every man, woman, boy, and girl that would put their faith in Christ alone, that they too could have salvation. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to understand is the Word of God is our authority, and the Word of God tells us about Christ Jesus. And our life is to be conformed to Jesus Christ. When I speak with unbelievers or when I speak with people that, uh, that, that disagree with me, again, I don't mean, I don't fight, I don't argue, but I don't, I don't chase rabbit trails. 
Well, where'd Cain get his wife? We can talk about that at another time. Tell me what you've done with Jesus. Well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about what's going on here? And what about what's going on there? I don't mind having those conversations, but what I'm talking about is you and me are sitting here over a cup of coffee right now, and your life needs Christ. What have you done with Jesus? The conversation always goes back to Jesus. Oftentimes when I do a funeral, I'll quote John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Me. Christianity is not the same as any other religion in the world. Don't tell people that. Okay? This, it is what it is. It's very narrow. It's one-way oriented. It is not broad-minded. The entrance into eternal life is as narrow as coming through Jesus Christ alone. Now you just have to take a big breath there and say, man, that is really countercultural to what the rest of my society and the rest of the world says. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, do I believe Jesus? Do I believe the Bible? If you believe Jesus and the Bible, that's the only message you have. And if you tell anybody any other message, then you distort the true gospel of the Word of God. It is narrow. There are only two ways. There's a broad way that leads to destruction and there's a narrow way that leads to life. And if you're here today, let me just take a moment to tell you, if you're here today, I love you. This church loves you. We pray for unbelievers. We Maybe you're here and you're a member of the church, but you're still unbelieving or you've thought differently. We love you. We're not mad at you. We're kind people. We will help you if you have a flat tire in the parking lot. We are on your side. We'll do stuff for you. We love you, but we want you to understand that what the Bible teaches and what Christ Jesus taught is there is only one way to eternal life, and it is by turning from your sin and putting your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And can I say something to you? You would want us to be faithful to that teaching, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want us to slight you wouldn't want to get half the message. And God will have to come to you on your own terms and you'll have to make decisions as to whether this is right or wrong or truthful or not. But we want you to know the truth. That the Bible teaches that any person that does not put their confidence and trust in Jesus alone for eternity is lost and undone. And we say that to you in love and in grace and in mercy. And the truth of the matter is, behind most of our hearts, there's a bleeding and a crying, desperately wishing and praying that God would turn a light on in your life and that you would come by faith in the Scriptures in Jesus Christ to believe in Him. We can't force you. We won't twist your arm. But we will tell you the truth according to the Scripture. Not only is it the Word of God and the Word of God concerning Christ, it is the Word in action. Now listen, church members, this is where you really need to turn your ears on, okay? 
Look at verse 21. It's a mic drop, all right? Jesus reads it, drops the mic, and walks away. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Word of God is not something, a trophy that we put up on a mantle and we say, That's wonderful. That's what we have. It's our relic. It's our sacred cow. It's what we hold to. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand that what we believe as believers is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by our good works or good deeds. However, when Christ brings salvation to the heart of a human being by none of their own work, by His mercy and grace alone, it produces a gratitude and a joy and a longing to worship and be obedient to Him. And the Word of God must produce action in our lives. Is God's Word producing change in your life in the last seven days? Are you reading, studying, being faithful to the Word so that as you read, you begin to see it change your life. If all of us were to talk together today just afterward, and I said something to you like this, hey, in the last seven to ten days, what Scripture have you read? And how has that rubbed against your life? What would you say? What about, uh, what about, let me just give you a soft one. Maybe we all could do this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. You see, that's a beautiful verse, but it doesn't belong on a Hallmark card. It belongs in the life that you live. Everyone in this room has anxieties and fears and worries and concerns. And what Christ is saying and the Scripture is saying is, hey, you have to work at being anxious for nothing. But instead of biting all of your nails and growing ulcers on the inside of your stomach, my solution is for you is in everything by prayer and supplication. It's just a big word to say, pleading. Let your requests be made known unto God. Could you say to me, you know what, Pastor Steve, I'm really struggling with anxiety in this area, but here I read that Scripture. And I'm, I'm failing, I'm coming short, but daily or at least every couple of days, I'm trying to press in in my prayer life and, and, and take my wheelbarrow of concern and dump it before His throne and say, God, you've got to do something. I need you. Please help me. I wonder if there's a sin in your life right now that the Scripture cuts against the grain of your life. Maybe I should go back and hit this one for a second. <laughs> now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. But you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day coming. You see, and Jesus is going to come. If you really believe, you know, those people that are like pre-tribulation rapture people, Tim LaHaye kind of, one day they don't know it, just boom. If you really believe Jesus is coming back, you go to church every week. The reason why you don't go to church every week is because you don't believe He's coming back. Hebrews 10.25 Neglect not, the, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, if you read a scripture like that, you say, man, I just, you know what? Kind of been in and out. It's been hit or miss. If I can get it, that's great. Well, the word in action is that you read that and you say, man, Lord, that verse cuts to my heart and I know I'm going to mess up. I, I know I'm not perfect, but I've read that. It's your word. It's holy. It's authoritative. And so this week I'm going to put the word in action. I know often when I preach like this, it becomes kind of awkward because what I'm trying to do, I, I, I could care less about preaching an eloquent sermon to you. I just want you to feel the reality of what we're talking about. It's not just come, sing a song, do the dance, hear the message and leave. The issue is, are you being changed by the word? Boldness in Christianity comes by the proper use of the word of God and the leading of the spirit. Let me hit this one last one for you and we'll be finished, okay? Boldness comes from loving lost people like Jesus does. Look, did you notice, look at what it says there in, uh, look at verse 15. It says that He was praised by all. Isn't that cool? Then look at verse number 20. It says that the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed on Him. Look at verse number 22. They were speaking well of Him and wondering at the gracious words that were falling from His lips. And they were all saying, this is not Joseph's son. They think Jesus is awesome until Jesus says, I've not come for the religious people. I've come for people who aren't religious. And they hate Him. Notice the contrast in verse number 25 and 26. There were many Israelite widows, but I just went to the one in Zarephath who wasn't an Israelite. There were many lepers in Israel, but I went to Naaman the Syrian who wasn't an Israelite. And now watch what they do. They turn on him. Verse 28, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. How did they go from loving Him to hating Him when Jesus said, I'm going to take the Gospel to all the world? What if Jesus were preaching here today? What do you think He'd say to you? Maybe a message like this. I love you. I'm glad you're here. But the Gospel is for everybody outside of these doors. And you need to get on board with carrying the gospel to people that don't look like you, act like you, come from where you do, or have what you have. It's for everybody. You might have planned on taking Jesus out to lunch after He was our guest preacher, and when you heard that, you'd walk away from Him. Let me show you something. We'll close this down. Look at verse 29. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Two, two interesting things just to note there. You might want to go back into the earlier part of this chapter and notice that uh, Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off because if you're the Son of God, the angels will catch you. Isn't it interesting here that Luke decides to tell the story of these Israelites who pushed Jesus up to the cliff in order to push Him off? I think what Luke is saying here is those people who don't want to give the Gospel to all the nations, you're like the devil. 
Notice that in verse number 20, every eye in the synagogue was fixed on Him, but Jesus at the end of this passage slips through their midst and they cannot see Him. When they were hearing the Gospel in the synagogue, their eyes were fixed on Him, but when they denied the Gospel going to every human being in the world, they couldn't see Jesus anymore. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light. Well, let me finish by just simply saying this. This passage clearly teaches Jesus begins His ministry by saying and declaring that He is God's promised Messiah. And the question is, do you believe He is? And if you do, do you live like it? On a moral level, this text simply teaches us, if you want to follow Jesus boldly, ask the Spirit to lead you, read the Word of God, and share the Gospel with everyone that you possibly can. Maybe a, a layer deeper than that would simply say this, there are no family privileges at the cross. Simply meaning this, you can be from Jesus' hometown and deny Him, or you can be a leper and adore Him. And as we think toward the future, maybe we could say something like this, when He comes again, will He find you satisfied with your group of friends or reaching the lost of the world? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.